Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Nate Langson, and this text message was sent on the 1st of February, 2015. First, we're looking back and scrutinizing the week in Top of the Pods, the choicest news in tech affecting the UK and its comrades over the last seven rotations of our planet Earth. At number five, Nokia has threatened legal action against a small UK technology firm over its use of the word here. Lowdown app, a digital personal assistant, according to Dave Lee on BBC News, allows users to tell their friends they have arrived at a location by pressing the here button. A standalone app for checking into locations, called here, has also been released by the firm. Nokia said the name would confuse the general public into thinking it was part of Nokia's own here range. Now, I do agree there is some sort of confusion possibility by two location-based mobile apps called here. We'll see how it goes. They, uh, Nokia has threatened legal action, but hasn't actually taken any. We don't think it's given the small company time to change its name towards the end of February, we believe. So we'll check back and see what happens there. Next up at number four, Mick Wright on the Next Web reports that Gmail users in the UK can now use the Send Money feature that is available in the desktop version of Gmail, even if the recipient doesn't have a Gmail address. To send money from Gmail, you just need to hover over the attachment button and instead of attaching photographs, let's say, video files, hey, maybe even a YouTube link, you can now just press the pound icon to attach money to your message, enter the amount you want to transfer, and send it. You can attach a request for money by using the same process if you need to charge somebody, let's say. Now, this is a really good move, but I think that doing this within email is one step. The second step, surely, is baking this into the Hangouts functionality and the related mobile apps. Google is, of course, in a very good position to be offering this. People do tend to trust Google with their personal information, at least to a certain extent. It's logical to do this. Would you use it, though? That's the question. Let us, let, well, let me know. Langson at iCloud.com. At number three by Natasha Lomas on TechCrunch, BT has announced its plans for what it's dubbing the Ultrafast Broadband Vision, aka how it plans to upgrade its existing fiber network to increase broadband speeds over the next five to ten years, with deployment due to start in the financial year 2016-2017, subject to successful pilots of the new tech. But Virgin is catching up very, very quickly. It currently offers speeds over 150 megabits per second down using its fiber network and seems to be doubling these speeds at the moment, at least feels like year on year, they're increasing them at least a significant extent. But the other thing that's happening at the same time is that wireless is getting extremely attractive and particularly to businesses. A lot of businesses are the target market for speeds like 500 megabits per second, but so is technology such as 5G. A lot of startups in East London are not bothering using fixed lines. They're using wireless technology and EE covers that extremely well. And with BT's plans to do this 500 megabits broadband by 2025, that's 10 years away. Wireless is going to have moved on a hell of a lot by then and possibly for at least 
customers on in, in their homes rather than in businesses, and certainly when thinking about real customers, are they going to be well served enough by the 2025 equivalent of 4G and actually 500 megabits per second through a line going through the ground? Is that even that attractive? At number two, Germany has created laws for driverless cars, according to Kate Connolly on The Guardian. The German transport minister will be laying down legal guidelines for the use of driverless cars on the country's autobahns, saying driverless or robot cars would probably become a feature on German roads within a few years, but insisted that some rules needed to be in place first. Now, current rules do not allow self-drive or robot cars on German roads because a human being always has to be at the controls. According to a 1968 Vienna Convention on Road Traffic to which Germany is signed up to along with 72 other countries. Very interesting that 1968 Vienna Convention said that a human had to be behind the cars. Did they have 1960s predictions of what was going to happen in 2015? Robot cars? Not sure. But it's interesting because this follows news from Katie Collins on Wired.co.uk in December, which revealed four UK cities had been chosen to test driverless cars in the UK starting this year. They are Greenwich, Milton Keynes and Bristol. There was actually a fourth one, I believe. I've forgotten what the fourth one is, apparently. And those formal trials were going to last for about a year and a half to three years, and we're going to help people, and particularly the government, understand the role that driverless cars can play in real-world environments. But the real question around all this has been, who is to blame for deaths and accidents caused by these cars, or at least the result of being hit by one of these cars? Do computer software programs need to be written with choices as to if you have the choice of veering off the side of a coast, uh, the side of a road into a tree, or hitting old Grandma Smith down the street, which one is more preferable, injure the driver, injure the pedestrian? These questions have to be answered, and it looks like Germany wants to make sure that they're answering them smartly before allowing them on the speedy autobahns. We'll keep an eye on this. And at number one this week... Netmums founder launches YouTube Network. This comes from Gurge D. Gunn on Campaign Live.co.uk. Interesting write-up. Siobhan Freegard is the founder of Netmums, and that is the UK parenting advice site that has a lot of users, I've heard. And she has launched the Channel Mum YouTube Network. It's a multi-channel network for, quote, mummy vloggers and mum-focused creators and will present the honest face of parenting, apparently. Freeguard explained that she noticed when her children were looking for information about things like history or games, they were increasingly using YouTube. And when she started looking around YouTube vlogs aimed at mothers, she could not find anywhere near the amount there are for other issues, such as makeup. Now, I do think this is a good thing, and they're going to be recruiting 100 mothers to populate the channel. They're going to get £200 a month per year and the latest digital camcorders and kit to start their vlog does raise, on the one hand, one question of an increase in fairly unwatchable content. But on the other hand, if it's by a mum for a mum and they're getting the information they want and they're getting paid for it, why shouldn't mums be involved in that giving advice to people, particularly if there's a shortage? And I honestly have to say that I think parenting-related advice for young mums sounds a lot more interesting and useful than makeup guides for teenagers. But next, it's true or false, the section of the show where I give you an incredible and hard to believe news story. Stick around after the main discussion segment of the program today to find out how true this story really is, which is that DARPA has created a pioneering technology that lets robots learn how to cook without any human help, simply by watching YouTube videos. Is that true or must it be false? Robots cooking? 
whatever next. Well, what's next is our main discussion topic, but stick around and we'll find out whether that DARPA story is true in about 15 minutes. Right, well, getting down and dirty, grooving at the podcast disco this week is uh, is somebody very dear and close to me physically. Um, we're in a small space and I can feel his knee. It's Andrew Hoyle. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine. It is quite close. It is a bit, it's isn't a it? a little mini studio you've set up here and it's not quite room for two people. It's built for one because that's all I need for me. So we wanted to do a little bit of uh, a, a different take on the second half of the show today, focusing on an aspect of journalism that is ideally suited to an audio-based podcast, photography and photojournalism. You can almost taste the irony slithering down your ears as I say how those words. Andy, you, well, in fact, what, how would you describe in a paragraph or a sentence, rather, the role of your job at cnet.com if someone asked you to describe it in a par- in a sentence because that's what i'm doing okay um well it's kind of two roles my my original role which is what i'm there for is a lot of product reviews which of course is what cnet specializes in um but more recently i i do a lot of um photography based features um going out and seeing things product services a lot of behind the scenes stuff and writing those up as full photo stories Give us an example of um, of one that you've done recently or, or most proud of that best illustrates, if you will accept the pun. Well, the one I did I did most recently, which I thought was pretty cool, was going inside the um, Bentley factory, the luxury car maker. Um, so I went up to Crew and was went inside their factory to see sort of how the they make from a lot of it um, made by hand um, these luxury cars. It was really really cool to go and see. So the idea was you you go to these places, you, I'm assuming, take some sort of a tour with the uh, people on site and discover what what sort of lurks beneath the depths of their businesses and and, uh, facilities. Exactly exactly that, yeah. Um, Basically that, get them to sort of show me around as much as possible um, to see all aspects of, um, particularly if it's um, it's a, a factory like that, I'd like to see, be able to follow the process from seeing the car in like its skeletal form when it's just this frame and seeing it go through every single stage of what happens until it actually then rolls off the production line as like a finished car, particularly with something like Bentley where there are so many different facets involved, sort of making all the engines by hand and, and hand carving all the wood. So a really interesting process. You write the captions and the effectively you write the story that that goes along with these yeah. with these photo stories. And you know, that in itself is something that, that is often handled by two separate people. You know, usually it's the journalist that's sure. writing captions and a photographer is effectively either acting under instruction to go along with the narrative or you know, they're you know, they're using their own initiative to to illustrate what they think is Yeah. Yeah. That's that is often the case, and um, so it's kind of handy that I can go off sort of by myself and and be able to get the photos, um, and then do uh, and have the sort of editorial direction on that as well. Yeah. So what what walk us what walk us through because I think, I mean, you you mentioned Bentley. You did one around McLaren. Yeah. And photographed the P1, which is only a model of car I even know because of Top Gear. Sure. To be honest, um, impressive car. Well, it looked impressive in in pictures I've seen before you went, and and yours weren't too bad either, which is uh, which is a bonus. Yeah, well, that was a, that was a really cool one to go to because that just in terms of content was so 
it was very different from in fact i've done three um automotive um based pieces so far i did um, bentley which as i mentioned is all about um handcrafting it's all it's all all the leather inside is hand stitched um mclaren is this very very scientific process the the factory is is clean and white and spotless and there's barely a noise to be heard and and these cars are sort of these these finely tuned powerhouses and then the other one i did um, much earlier was a look inside uh, nissan's plant up in sunderland and it's this huge 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 factory um but there that's all about mass production everything's very automated but they're churning out maybe 200 cars every hour as opposed to um uh, mclaren that will do sort of one a week but you can, I mean, you can illustrate, you can tell that story in, in words, you know, I mean, obvi- I don't want to say, you know, what does a picture add? Obviously, it illustrates the point. But are there aspects of those sorts of discoveries, those editorial discoveries that particularly suit being told in, in pictures in a, in a way that words don't do justice? Oh, definitely. And, and certainly for some of these factories, they're so, they're so big and there's so much to see that it really is you need to be able to sort of see inside and, and take a tour. And, and words alone can't really do that. Similarly, actually, and pictures alone don't really do that. A lot of the time you don't know what you're looking at and you don't quite get a scale or you don't really know the importance of a particular thing. So it really has to be, has to be both of them together. I want to raise uh, one shoot that you did which I was a little bit envious of, actually, at the time, which was the Bloodhound. The Landspeed Record rocket car. Yeah. Yeah. It's not every day you get to ask someone what's it like walking around a rocket car factory. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead. What what was it like walking around a rocket car factory? It was incredible. It was... Because um, at first from the outside, this building is just a... Um, it it just looks like any standard industrial estate building, very like very nondescript from the outside. When you get inside, and you're immediately met with this giant jet engine rocket um, sat on some wheels. It's incredible to see, um, and there's there's just so much. It was all obviously in Peters and still half built when I because I went to see it about. Um, Probably about nine months ago now, I think it was, um, and actually it's nearly it's nearly ready for its um, for its main run. Um, but then also getting to interview the people behind it, um, particularly that one was um, a lot of um, uh, military volunteers as well. So a lot of really fascinating people to be able to talk to who are, who are completely hands on and who've been with the project and are super passionate about it. The driver as well, he's an um, um, ex military wing commander, um, really really interesting guy, and he's the one who's going to be travelling at a thousand miles an hour and trying to ask him sort of how do you even operate something like that this at those speeds and it is just really really great the there was a, a personal aspect to the to the uh the bentley um report that you did that i found interesting just in how the the local the employees all sort of stem from the local area oh absolutely yeah you know, I, I found that particularly interesting because it it felt like a i don't want to say a classically british uh, business, but there was something about the way you you told it and the way the pictures came across that it, even though it was incredibly modern, industrial, um, you know, everything that a very modern car manufacturer, in my head at least, having never actually visited one of these places, needs to be, it still sort of came across like the people there are 
you know everyone of... there was super passionate they yeah. were they were super into what um, what they do even from the guy who picked me up at the, at the um uh the station and was immediately telling me all about the history of the factory uh, he'd worked there his dad had worked there his granddad had worked there we most people there had multiple generations in their family they are the biggest employer in crew and crew was was historically it was like a railway town it was so much then when some of the railways closed um Bentley was the biggest employer and has taken over a lot of the buildings that used to be there. So it's it's absolutely part of Cruise Heritage. So and most of the people in the town um, have um, jobs there themselves or relatives that work there. Um, some of the people, the the people on the comms team who who I was speaking to, they used to be working in the um, in on the shop floor actually doing the the stuff themselves. But you know, a couple of decades on, they've managed to work their way into managerial positions and everything else. And now they're leading the comms team and doing these tours with them, um, with not well not only press but also people visiting clients who are customizing these cars. And they're the ones who are taking them around because they know everything about Bentley and they are super passionate about Bentley. Because you're. You know, the the primary reason for somebody to be looking at these uh, or to be um, enjoying a feature, let's say, is is for the photos. That's kind of what they're there for. You know, in a way, you could take away the sort of the captions and the explanations that go with that and still give people what they came for, but take away the photos and you're not necessarily left with captions that stand on their own without being illustrated would that be a fair assessment because yeah. i have a follow-up point to make if that if i'm right no yeah absolutely that. yeah that's, that's right which makes me think that when you're going to these places you're meeting these sorts of people and you're you're discovering you know you're, you're almost certainly having so many conversations and learning about people like the military guys at, mm -hmm. at bloodhound or the family background to the people and the characters you meet in a place like bentley do you ever feel that you're having to cut too much out just to deliver something as a photo story absolutely not because some of the some of the captions are they they can be really short because some of the photos they they're they're part of a bigger story so individually don't need necessarily three or four paragraphs but maybe one or two sentences in just explaining what a thing is but then those stories there's always plenty of room to be able to to elaborate a bit more in particular the um, uh, the bloodhound wrong we've talked about there was there was so so many opportunities to go into more detail as we're as I'm progressing the story and and introducing different characters um, to the narrative as it were and and being able to um, explain a bit more who they are and what they're doing how do you decide what photo story to pursue next uh, basically whatever I think would be Whatever excites me personally, and what I think, what would I really like to go and see this? Would I really find that interesting? And if my generally, if I think if I do, then somebody else will as well. And whether that's something really cool and eye-catching, like Bentley, because you know Bentley's a very big name, and and lots of people would would want to see Bentley cars. But also just like seeing behind the scenes um, at something, seeing okay, well I've, I know about this, but I've never actually considered maybe how it how it would actually operate behind the scenes and there's definitely a really sort of interesting aspect to that even even mundane things that you'd never think about there's such an interesting story in how they come about and how they're made all right give me an example then i wasn't going to ask you this of something that looks really boring but actually once you know what it is it suddenly becomes exciting there's a ton of things i'd love to go and see things like cling film the standard kitchen product that we use a lot but i want to think well how okay how does how do you make cling film? And, and sure, that doesn't need a 40-page photo gallery of, of super in-depth, but even just a few pictures or, or a video to say, well, that's how it's made, and so many items like that. And Surely if you, if you take a really good photo of really good cling film, 
there's, you're basically taking a photo of nothing. I mean, of all the visual <laughs> subjects, cling film. Sure. As I mean, a, it's like a, it's like being a window photographer. Well, exactly. I mean, I mean you're I mean, mostly I, photographing the frames there, and not the glass. Sure, but that's my that's my point. Like, it's it's such a such a mundane, boring thing. But when you actually look at it from a different angle and think about the background of this thing and and how that's produced, I think it, there's suddenly a, a really interesting story there. I suppose there's as much irony in trying to photograph cling film as do an audio podcast about a visual <laughs> medium. But I'll let that one stay on the table. What keeps making this sort of photo journalism, which is what it is, in it, you know, I think, broadly speaking, it's not necessarily Syrian conflicts that is usually what I think comes to mind when you think of photojournalism. Yeah. But it, but it is in a way. I mean, what, what keeps this exciting as a field other than, and maybe this is it, your ability to think up something you're interested in and want to go and f- photograph it? Well, that's, that is a big part of it. And being able to, as I say, tell these stories of um, of of in, inside if it's inside factories or if it's looking at a um, a new a new product or or looking at something like um, the blood hand thing like the, these are things that you know we could write about in 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 word form and and be given a press release and say okay this is something that's happening but it's very different to then me packing up my kit and going out and seeing this thing firsthand and being able to take the other people because seen it gets a lot of um, a, 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 has a big audience and it's really exciting to, to know that I can take all these people through this story sort of piece by piece and show them from start to finish this what's happening it's interesting you mentioned kit I was going to ask you about kit for a couple of reasons firstly what's your what's your your primary setup if you're going on a shoot camera uh, camera Main setup is Canon EOS 6D, um, full frame, so really good quality, particularly in low light. Um, my main lens I use for the, a lot of the features, particularly if it's inside big buildings like factories, is a Canon uh, 16 to 35 mil lens. It's quite wide angle, so it's really good for sort of capturing sort of big scenes. Really um, lends itself to it those. It does lends itself to these things. Um, macro lens as well, when you need to get up close and these shots. Um, and um, and my laptop. Okay, there was a kind of a lot of controversy. I think maybe a year or so ago, one of the one of the very large U.S. newspapers. I think it might even be the Sun Times or Chicago Sun Times. I think it was uh, effectively laid off all of its in-house photo journalists mm-hmm. and, and photographers and got and trained up their reporters on how to do acceptable photography with things like iPhones and and kind of what I imagine are run-of-the-mill DSLRs. Do you ever consider that pursuing this as a as a as a trade is effectively getting less valuable to an employer? Well I think that's why it's important to diversify and and I'd like to think as I as I do both the writing side and I'm doing the photography side I'm already doing what that um, publication was trying to get its staff to do they they are training their writers to be good photographers rather than just training photographers and writers separately and that's certainly what i would advise um people to do is to have have more skills certainly if you are a writer having not only acceptable photography skills but good photography skills to be able to not not only just get decent pictures to take somebody through but visually impressive pictures that will people think oh wow these look really cool i want like they'll see one picture that will draw them in and really want them to click through and see more. What about from the other angle? What about a photographer? Do you think a photographer should uh, learn to be a journalist? I, I certainly, I absolutely do. Even if it's... Uh, even if A it's, written journalist, I should say. They may very well be um, 
telling yeah. stories with pictures. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, it's it, even in, in, in basic terms of having more skills will make you more suitable for for more positions is is definitely a good thing to do but even if even if you're only doing photography then blogging about what you're doing is is a, is always a great way to sort of draw more people into your stuff and to and to be able to talk about what you're up to before we wrap up i've got to ask you one fairly big question on the spot if there are budding photojournalists listening or writers who want to be photographers or photographers who want to do more like what you're doing at cnet what's your number one single piece of advice uh it would be what we're what we're talking about in in diversifying in in your skills if you are only writing there are every story that's published always will need a photo to go with it at least the one and if you can be the person to take that then you're bringing so many more skills to the table and that's really really important okay where do people go right now to look at stuff that you created. To look at my stuff. Cnet.com. Cnet.com is where they can go. Battery HQ on um, Twitter. Um, 500 pixels. 500 pixels. How many pixels have you got on there? Oh, thousands of pixels on there. Slash Battery HQ, I think, as well. Okay. Um, Yeah, those places. That is Andrew Hoyle, Cnet.com. Thanks. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up the show, we're going to get to the answer of our true or false news segment from the first half of the show, which was that DARPA was apparently creating pioneering technologies that let robots learn how to cook without any human help simply by watching YouTube videos. Well, that is true. It's research funded by DARPA's Mathematics of Sensing, Exploitation and Execution program. It's in its early stages, but apparently showing promising signs, according to NewsRisingMedia.com, which I've never been to before yesterday. The team working at DARPA have currently developed the system that allows test robots to watch a series of cooking tutorial videos and perform the tasks shown with zero human input. On top of this... The program enables the robots to store whatever knowledge they've learned and build on it to become better at what they do. This means they can learn faster at a fraction of the cost to roboticists. Plus, this can expand to robots teaching other robots. More true or false coming next week, along with another batch of news and another interview. Or maybe one of my co-hosts will be coming back. Who knows? I haven't asked anybody yet, but you can guarantee the next weekend there will be one. Do let me know what you think to the show today and the show in general. We're still in pilot stages, so I'm experimenting with the format. Langson at iCloud.com. Until next week, I'm Nate Langson. Check natelangson.com forward slash podcast for information about the show, show notes and links, and of course, subscription links for iTunes, podcast catches, and RSS feeds. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.